Welcome back to the Max Effort Kitchen Podcast. We got a great segment for you. It's called The Athlete and the Chef. So sit back, relax, and let's go. Welcome to Max Effort Kitchen. I'm your host, Chef Matt, joined by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Cornell George. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, other than it's freaking hot here. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's 80 was, degrees there, right? <laughs> it's But it's 80 at like 8 o'clock at night. It's not yeah. supposed to be this hot, this late, and then I'm in the garage, and I don't have air conditioner in the garage, so I've got the back door and the front door open, and a fan outside, far enough away that hopefully you can't hear it because I used to be on another show where they would freak out and like the, the, there's a fan on there's some, there's a helicopter over you. It's like, (laughs) calm down, dude. Dude, Here's the thing with all that. And when I first started podcasting, I was, I think I was conditioned to be that way. Right. Yeah. And then I like, I was just telling, you know, cause we're, we're on a little vacation home out in central Oregon right now. And I just told uh, the kids and, and Alana, I was like, Hey, going on the podcast guys, you guys need anything from the room. And they're like, no, 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 we won't bother you. And I was like, you know what? Actually, if you walk in here, I don't care. <laughs> like, whatever. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You know, I mean, it's like, this is this is a fun show. We're, we're not like uh, paid podcasters by any means. We are hobbyists. <laughs> Speak for yourself, uh, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, it's always funny when people are like, oh, you have a podcast? Oh, I bet you make a lot of money. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, no. This is this is all for the love of it. Um, <laughs> hey, I got a question for you. So, when um, when we go on vacation, so okay, I'll, I'll give a backstory. When we go on on like vacation anywhere, it doesn't matter if it's like a hundred miles out of town or if it's like across the country. Like, there's one thing that I search up, and that is the local pizza shop, and I do that. Primarily because I love pizza. Obviously, we all know that. But like, I love seeing like, and there's a weird um, fascination with these local pizza shops and how they do anything. And so, like this one, I found it's called Pappy's Pizza, and uh, I'm like, well, why didn't you just call it Papa's? But you know, they went Papa's or Pappy's. But um, it was <laughs> it was really good pizza. And, um, their dough was really good and everything. And then I'm always really surprised. I'm like how well they do pizza. Now, my question to you is like, when you go on vacation or when you need to do anything like that, do you have a specific thing that you search up? I probably, the big thing that I probably really only look up, like if it's, if we're going out or going somewhere as a family, or even if it's just my wife and I, I always try to find the coffee place we're going to go to in the morning. Nice. Um, nice. More, more just because that's the first thing that I'll probably need to research or the first decision that will have to be made. And then kind of everything else after that, it's like, well, I can figure that out as the day goes. But um, I'm also not a professional pizza tour. And <laughs> <laughs> You know, I did it before I even started doing making pizzas. Like, it's just like – that like hometown feel like, okay, so I grew up part of my life, like the beginning part from like age zero to nine, let's just say that I grew up in Idaho um, or just right outside of Boise. And we had this little like 
burger shop, smash burgers. It was called the farm boy and it was pretty basic smash burgers. Um, but they had like the best fry sauce and they had the best shoe sting fries. And like, it was such a treat to be able to go there as a kid. And so I think that I get, I started to get into this nostalgic thing of like, when I go away and I'm in like these little country towns or whatever, I'm searching out like what that is or what that was to me, you know, like where's the, like the, the place when you're a kid, like it just feels like such a treat. And it's, I mean, pizza, come on, you know? Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I like the pizza idea. Um, there's a place up in my parents have a cabin up in big bear, Southern California. And there is a pizza place. So they, they, they did a big like revamp. A lot of money got dumped into the, the area uh, about probably 10, 12 years ago. And all of the local stuff kind of was gone. It got bought out and turned into much fancier places. But there is one pizza place up there that has been there forever, and it's probably a five-minute drive from where my parents' cabin is, so it's a very easy one for us to order and go pick it up. Uh, But there is another one that opened up that, like, it's in the nicer, newer area, but it still tastes very much like small small town place. And that one's called Saucy Mama's. Nice. And... Uh, when my son was first learning to to read, we we're driving up the on Main Street, and there was some women like walking in scantily clothed, not that much, but <laughs> to the point where he goes, "Saucy mama," and my wife is like, "What did you just say?" And he's like, "The pizza place. It's called Saucy Mamas." <laughs> That's like that's perfect timing on your son's part. Oh, it was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it was like the middle yeah. of summer and just like just bathing suits and that kind of stuff walking around downtown. He's like four or five years old, and <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like um, I, I, you know, we okay. So we're in Central Oregon, and I love going to the small smaller towns. We don't, when we do, when I do travel and go to the bigger places, it's usually for a weightlifting meet, you know, um, or to visit you, you know, we, and we went down there. I wasn't going to be like, let's go get pizza because I'm sure there's like 25 pizza joints within a, you know, a couple miles of your house. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the, the whole thing I'm really searching out is like, I want to see how the locals are eating. And I kind of like that. That's, that's just something that I'm, I'm really fascinated by. And then I go in and my wife hates it when I do this, but I go into this like restaurant tour mode where I'm like, okay, how could we make this better? I'm, I should go talk to the owner. And, and she's like, sit down, <laughs> shut up. Well, next time you're down here. <laughs> nice. Next time you're down here, we'll go to Felipe's and then you can have the super, super cheese pizza. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So next summer, definitely. Um, yeah. Ooh, maybe, maybe I wonder if that pizza would, that pizza might hold where if I put a couple slices in like a cooler in my bag, when I go up there and like, is it, it's after yep. in a couple of days, it'll be next month. So I could probably bring you a couple slices. Well, and you know what I found out is, is, oh, well, I didn't find this out, but what I, my opinion about pizza is we're really what it tastes like on the second day. Cause the mm-hmm. second day will tell me if how, you know, like how the dough is and 
how the ingredients are and how, if they're topping it properly. And this pizza, I ate, we ate it today for lunch and I'm like, second day, it's best. It's really the best. So if Felipe is going to stand up to the test, bring it on up. No, like one of my favorite things with Felipe's is you get that piece for the next day and you pop it in the oven and then it like the, the leftover cheese starts to melt over the edge and nice. it's, it's, it's great. So that's awesome. I love that. Um, so I, you know, being on va- you know, vacation, um, I'm, I find myself, you know, scrolling on Instagram a little bit more than I probably should, you know, whatever, who cares? Uh, and I came across a couple videos and, it got me thinking like when, you know, with, with organized sports, let, I'm just going to use football because it's what I know best uh, with football, you know, in certain, in your position, there's a lot of like preparation leading up to, um, you know, a game day or like, you know, you gotta, you gotta study your, your book, you got to, or your playbook, you got to study the other team's plays. You got to be able to read defenses. You got to be able to, um, really understand what that other team is bringing in the big picture. And, and when they line up in certain formations, what's going to happen, all that stuff. So I was like, I wonder how, like, as weightlifters, and I think this would be a good topic, is to talk about the preparation on how we prepare um, ourselves off the platform um, to be able to walk into a meet and be successful. And this also was sparked by the conversation. You know, I just had a conversation with uh, Coach uh, Coach Stephanie that, you know, leading up to uh, my next meet, which is in nine weeks. And so, uh, what is there anything outside of the box that you're like, this is what I do? <laughs> are you watching? Like, are you watching other lifters? Are you like, okay, when I'm in the back room with that person, are they going to, you know, are, are they going to jump? Do I know this? Like, uh, am I paying attention to how the the tactical efforts that their coaches are making and stuff like that? That's a hard one for me to answer because most of the time, it's it's not that common for me to be a comp into a competition where I'm going to be like middle of the pack. I'm generally yeah. going to be much more towards the end. Oh. Yep. Yep. Um, especially local meets. So the way that I run my cards slash time is I go and I, if there's 12 lifters, that means that there's 11 ahead of me. I multiply that by three so I know that I'm going to be between 33 and 40 minutes out. Okay. Uh, so, but if I'm running cards for somebody, then I have to take much more into account. Like I take into account lot numbers. I take into account what are they opening with the snatch versus what are they opening with the clean and jerk. Um, right. If the spread is real big, then there's a good chance that they're going to bump up the snatch if the the spread isn't very big. There's a good chance they're going to bump up the clean and jerk and those types of things. It's interesting because like I, I, I see where my brain is going and, and my brain is like, how can I be more competitive? And it's such an interesting thing with taking an individual sport versus a team sport and saying, let's combine them in, in a sense of preparation, which I think is a very difficult thing to do. Um, but like, you know, some of the things I'm a very routine person. And so like I eat at a certain time, 
Um, I'm putting my shoes on at a certain time. I'm sleeping at a certain time. Uh, and one, as I've done more meets, I've realized that like the more I'm specifically routined into doing that stuff, the worse I do. <laughs> and <laughs> it's because of the mental game. It's because it's like the second one thing is off. It's like, Oh, I'm done. I'm going to screw up this whole thing. And so it's like having to back yourself out of that whole idea of like every little step has to be perfect. Um, you know, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to take this a different way. What's the weirdest thing you do before a competition just to be ready? Like, like if you were like, somebody saw you doing it, they would be like, what the hell is he doing? Oh, well, that would be real awkward if somebody saw me doing it because I generally <laughs> compete my best if I have sex that morning. So that's kind of a thing that my wife and I have an understanding of yeah, competition yeah. day. Like, good morning. I'm going to wake you up and it's not about you. I mean, <laughs> it's a very, uh, it, let's just say it opens up the hips really well. <laughs> so good on I the lower back. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good one. Lately before training, I've been doing this thing where, and I, I had Jackson actually video me doing it, but like, you, okay. So I'll put my, my, uh, my powder in the, in the, the shaker. And then when I start to pour the water out, there's like this big poof that comes out. Mm -hmm. I put my head, my face by the cup when that poof comes out and I suck it up. <laughs> like it's a big cloud. It's the dumbest thing. But I'm like, that just added to my drive. <laughs> it's so stupid. But uh, no, it's, it's – go ahead. If I, get, if I get the big, like, monster or rock star, like the one that's, like, one and a half or two with the twist off top, yeah. right when I crack that open, it creates this little vapor, and I, like, snort <laughs> that. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, it hits different. <laughs> I think it's, you know, I don't, I don't use uh, smelling salt. So it's equivalent to my smelling salt, I guess you could say. Um, so you know, I, I would say, yep. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I, I would say something else that I do definitely for myself, um, especially for national or like bigger, bigger meets. Uh, but I still do it for local meets as well is as soon as that start list comes out, I stock everybody. I look up all of their names on Instagram. If I can't find them, I'll do my best to look them up on USAW. Um, and I'll just Google them too. And then you can, it's a lot of work. Uh, but you can generally like find what they've done, see what they've done at other competitions, see kind of what weight class is like. Are they moving around weight classes? Like if someone was a 102 and now is going to be a 109 or was a super and is going to be a 109, that's going to affect them differently. Like they could potentially do better if they were now, like if, if they were 102 and they were totaling 270, 280, well, as a 109, if they're properly like in that class now, it's not just that beginner, like where you're still moving slow, not, not understanding how your body works. Like you could be 10, 15 more kilos up, but then at the same time, if someone's a super, and they've, they're coming down, well, who knows how much weight they're cutting leading into that? Uh, who knows how long it's they've been at this body weight, like all those kinds of things. So it can be a big detriment. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, now that that's exactly what I was talking about with preparation, because like in the, in the idea that 
you know, we are competing against other people and we got to be able to uh, stock, I guess, stock our prey, stock our competition and really, um, really take the time to understand who we're competing against because, um, you know, and I, I've been pretty fortunate to have, um, a, a pretty awesome person in the back room with me, which is Matthew Konar. Shout out to Matthew Konar. Um, and he literally makes it so I don't have to do a freaking thing. And he knows all those people. So he's like, you know, just all you need to do is lift the weights. That's it. And I get it from the athlete standpoint. That's most likely the way it should be. Um, but I think we all have different preparations, whether it's like, I don't know, um, you know, different ways of recovering, different sleeps we get or whatever. And it's just interesting to hear um, because I, I think uh, there's a, a fascination with the way people, uh, the way people prepare for something, for a competition, for war, for a football game, for, you know, like everybody wants to know that. And I, I, I kind of appreciate it when people be like, yeah, I don't do very much. I just walk in there and I do what I've been training, trained to do. <laughs> Says something about the person, but, um, so I, I also, you know, I, I, have, I thought about this and I was like, okay, on the, on the idea of preparation, a bigger picture topic is like, what makes a well-rounded athlete slash weightlifter? Like what we all know the training we have to put in. We all know the consistency and the food and the recovery, but on the other side of things, you know, in like, what, what do you think makes a good weightlifter? So this is something my buddy Tony told me. He listened to a podcast probably like eight, seven, eight years ago. <clears throat> and he told he came up to me once and he was like, I listened to this podcast and it was about mental toughness and performing. And when you are going to compete after you've been doing it for a while and you've been, you do it, like it's not your first or second time. Like, yeah, I still get the nerves. I still get all that kind of stuff, but I'm not going like, Oh, I hope I, I win or I hope I do good or like all that kind of stuff. It's always like, man, I hope I make that first one. Like if I make the first one, then, then it's fun after that. Uh, until the second first one needs to come up. So, <laughs> um, but he said, he said, you're so calm. And I figured it out. Why? And he said, you've done this long enough and you've done enough meets and you've, you've trained, you know, you're prepared when you're going into this meet. It's like, you're just going to work. Yeah. You're not, when you go to work every day, you're, you are a professional at your job. You're doing something that other people could be terrified of if it was their first or second day. But if you put in that time and effort and you learn how to be mentally tough and to, like, like I said, during that last meet, I was five miles away from my house and I realized I didn't have my earbuds and I'm like, Oh, all right, I'll be fine. It wasn't the way that I would like it. That's like oh, one of the only times I wear earbuds, but I think that's also a, a good thing for me is that's part of my process with competing is that's when I put the earbuds in. So if I don't have the earbuds, it's going to be more like training, not a big deal. Um, that makes sense. But I think that, yeah, I, I just remember him talking about that and he was like, this is just like your job, like for you. And cause I had done it probably 20 plus times at that point. 
and that, I mean, so you're, you're, um, I like that idea, the mindset of a professional and walking in and having that confidence. Um, something that I had a coach tell me, not a weightlifting coach, but a, a football coach tell me is he's like, you're, you know, you're going to go through a lot in, in sports and life and all that stuff. And he would always say there were three things, uh, to make a good athlete. And he said, uh, you got to go through hardship. You got to be able to take criticism and you got to be able to fail. And he's like, and if you can do those three things and you can still continue to do the sport you're doing, or even in life, like, right, continue to do your job. If you go through those things, continue with your marriage, uh, continue with, you know, being a parent, like it's just going to set you up that much more. And so I've always, I've always felt that like, it's hard to take in the moment, but fail, failure is, is really such a key item to being successful in a sport or in life. Um, but I, it's just one of those things. You got to be able to take hardship You got, and criticism. I am, I, I, I really tried hard to take criticism and to be able to take it and not overthink it. Cause that's where I take it is I start overthinking it and I start letting it break down my confidence. But um, a lot, I think criticism is, is a really good one. And, and if we could all take criticism a little bit better, maybe, maybe it would be, uh, the, I don't know, we'd all be better weightlifters. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that's good. Uh, but I think you also have to realize or take into account who's criticizing you, who's quote unquote uh-huh. coaching you. Are they just, are they, do they think that they know? so much and they are just trying to find your one fault. Um, Are they trying to point out things to make them seem like they know more than they actually do? Um, I have, I bend my arms in all my lifts. I've had so many coaches just, Oh, you really shouldn't bend your arms. And I'm just finally like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Go ahead and try to fix it. It's not going to (laughs) happen. I'm like, I don't teach it, but I can't undo it. And I can guarantee right, right. you that I can lift a lot more with bent arms than without. I said, that's, mm-hmm. and I've mm-hmm. had people come up to me and ask about like, should I bend my arms? I'm like, no, but if you can't not do it, then you need to learn how to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like having a, being a hip cleaner and bending your arms in a clean is much more complicated and harder to, to, to perfect than having being a thigh cleaner with straight arms. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm, I can that speak bar to that. is wild. Like, it is wild. And I can speak to the whole bending the arms in, in the clean, um, because it's really something I've been working on in this block, which is when I go to extend to keep bending my arms and pulling it into the hips, because whenever I do that, um, it, it sets me up a little bit better or it makes it for the lack of better terms, it makes it feel easier. You know, um, because yeah. I, I'm I'm pretty fast under the bar, and so like if I can get that bar in the right position, I, I'm 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 good to go. I'm solid. Um, do it. I don't think you need to do it every time. Um, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I, you know, it, it's weird because <laughs> when you, when you learn a certain way as a beginner in the in a sport, and then you're taught a whole different way, it's it's. It's an adjustment. Um, and I'm going through that right now where I learned the max effort programming. 
but mm-hmm. I'm in a, a linear program right now, um, almost like a, a periodization program. And I, you know, I was talking to, to uh, my coach yesterday on the phone and she was explaining to me like, this is what you're, you know, what you just explained and how your body's feeling. That is, that's exactly where I want you to be. And it was, it's reassuring to hear. And I was told her, I was like, I'm not telling you cause I'm complaining, but I'm telling you just to know. So you know where I'm at. And she's like, this is exactly what I want to want to hear. And I, this is where I want you to be. This is what we intended. And it's interesting because nice. I told her, I said, I come from max effort. And I go, I talk to Cornell about this all the time where it's like, the confidence, and we talked about this last podcast, but the confidence of walking up to a heavy lift that you haven't hit yet in training. And she went on and she, I swear to, I mean, I don't know if you like, like interjected or fed her the words, but she said them like pretty much word for word of what you said is like, you're working and building muscle to get to that lift and you're going to hit it. There's no, there's no reason why you shouldn't. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like we, we did talk about this, I think, last time, but doing a linear progression program, you're being prepared to lift a weight far greater than anything you've ever lifted. But it doesn't right. mean you're going to – you're there. she's programming you to be able to hit that on a specific day. The hard yeah. part is it might be the week before your competition. It might be the week after. It, there's a lot of luck of the draw when it comes to if it happens on the right day. But you're you're going to potentially hit five ten percent percent, not kilo, like over what you've ever hit in your life. But it doesn't mean that you can just go and hit that every week. You're being that's what being peaked is. You're going to be up at the top of the mountain, and then as soon as you get down that mountain, like we've we've seen a mountain before. All of a sudden, now you're not going uphill; you're going downhill. So you're going to get. <laughs> You're going to, that, this is right where I am right now. And I finished my program, finished the competition, Mm -hmm. biggest total of my entire life, like blew it out of the the ocean. And then I just went downhill real fast and just lifting 80% is not easy, but it's because I, I peaked so high that now I have to like reset and then start building again. Um, like it's, it's not hard to be on a program where you're just hitting 90% three times a week. Cause you're never, but you're never going to hit 101%. Well, yeah. And so, and, and I like that you said that, well, first of all, I, I love the dynamic here because we are in like two completely different spots in our, in our weightlifting, you know, uh, career, let's just say that for fun. Um, but like, um, the, the thing with the linear thing that, that I really like is that um, it does create progression and the, the pro you can see the progression through the program. I am seeing the progression. I'm feeling stronger. And in the max effort, um, one thing I read about it today was like the max effort program is generally for people that are impatient. And they just want to lift the heavyweights right now, right now, right now, right now. Um, and there's not much longevity. And so like, that's why, and I've never really prescribed to the idea of a mountain because you, ha- if you go up the mountain, you have to come down. I want like a gradual and, and I, and obviously this is because where I'm at in weightlifting, but I want like a gradual trail hike 
that keeps on going uphill, but I don't know where that thing's going to end. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's a kind of the way I see it in my head is just like, I, I don't want to climb. I don't want to rock climb this mountain straight up a, a rock wall because I know that uh, that's the fastest way up there. I got to come down. I don't want to come down. <laughs> and, and speaking from a, uh, um, a parent where I'm like, you know, I look at my kids and I'm like, I don't want you to grow up anymore. Stop growing. <laughs> like, uh, you know, and, and, and so that's, uh, that's a little work into my psyche there of like, um, I, I am very much a proponent of eternal life. If I could ever find that. Right. But, <laughs> and maybe, maybe there is. And so like the idea of the, the mountain and the max effort and always hitting the hardest top lifts every single week. Um, it really got put into perspective for me by talking with you, by being on this program. Um, and just by seeing, um, different perspectives in, in, in the world of weightlifting and life. And yeah, I encourage anybody out there that is like stuck in a program and you're not sure if it's the right one, go try another one. Don't listen yeah. to the haters. I also think that in your weightlifting career, everyone should do a max effort cycle or like uh, more than like three weeks. Like if you're going to really try that, you need to do it for like six months. And I agree. um, (laughs) It'll be one of those things where you're going to, you are going to skyrocket for about two to three months. And then you're going to completely plateau and then you're going to see what it's actually like going max effort, going that like yeah. max for the day lifting. And then you're going to, then you're going to start to see why it's actually, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's better to do the progressive overload type, but you're going to understand why the, the power of it compared to just going and um, maxing out all the time. Yeah. No, I agree so, with that. I think that um, you've got to see all angles, right? Yeah. And like a lot of people who switch over to like a max effort type of program, they just hit PR, 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 PR. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've put on 10 kilos to my snatch in three weeks. It's like, all right, that's cool. How, many, how often did you test it on the five years leading up to this program? Like every 12 weeks, it's like, okay, and maybe that day really wasn't the right day. It would have been better if it was two days before, two days after, but that's not what the program was. So I think that doing this as long as I've been doing it, I understand when a day is good and when to push it. Mm -hmm. And I am much more commonly seeing days where I have to pull back. Yeah. And if you have that bad day, it means that good day is generally right around the corner. Yeah. You know, she did talk a lot about self-regulation, like self-regulating your, you know, just if you're going in there and you're feeling like shit and you have a, an open set that you want to hit a big weight at, like put one kilo on the bar or don't just hit the the top set twice. She's like, you got to be able to self-regulate and know when it's a good day. And then even on the other side of that, when it is a good day and you don't have that empty thing, you stop. You stop where it says to stop and you just move <laughs> on. Now, 
not all people prescribe to that. And and I get the idea of like, you know, when you're feeling good and moving good, hit a big weight. But like, what do you like? I'm such a, I get, I'm a head case. We we've already um, established that. And so when we get into this, uh, this idea of like, I got to be doing my programming, I'm not going to hit bigger lifts. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. Um, the one time where I will break out is if like, you know, I, I, I lift with people and when I lift with people, it makes, uh, it makes a bigger difference and, um, it, I have more fun with it, but, and then I'll go outside of the program a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I think I'm the same way, but I also do know that like, okay, we're a month out from competition. I might be feeling great. That's not the time to do it. When, if I right now had a good, if I right now had a good day, I'm going to push it. I have nothing coming up. There's no yeah. reason for me not to. Um, but I think that one of the stupidest phrases I believe in weightlifting is if the, if the fire's hot roast marshmallows, because people <laughs> who don't know what they're talking about, who are immature weightlifters, they will see a birthday candle and they'll touch it with their finger and go, oh, that's hot. Let's get a marshmallow yeah. out. Do you know how long it'll take to roast a marshmallow with a birthday candle? Compared to yeah. you you walk up to a, a roaring campfire, that's what it's supposed to be. But everyone just lies to themselves and be like, ooh, that, that birthday candle is really hot right now. Like it, it's not this big yeah. roaring flame. It's It's just this little spark of something. Yeah. And that's what people need to understand the difference of. Yeah, that, that dude, that totally makes sense. And, and you're absolutely right. And, um, man, it's, it's so like, it's interesting because, you know, even on this podcast, I think about this, uh, and I don't know if it's true or not, or if there are any young podcast or young weightlifters listening to us that are being influenced by the way we're talking. But I think um, if you're going to talk about things in the public's eye, if you're going to be a coach, if you're going to, and when I talked about this before, be responsible about what you're saying and understand who you're talking to, understand your audience and understand that like, don't, don't, you know, you're, you, there is a percentage of people that you are influencing with what you're saying. And like, maybe those aren't the right people to be influencing that. And they could probably do way better if they didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, so switching gears here. Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, no you it was got nothing. it. I was okay, going to say, <laughs> often, <laughs> I think there's like a slight delay for some of this. There um, is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things, like what you were saying about that, is with the, the fire's hot mindset and pushing it on certain days when it's not necessarily on the program. Most of the people who are pushing that so much right now, they weren't in control of their program. Their coaches would see stuff and then their coaches would say, let's do this. Let's make right. like it's the coaches who are making that call. But then they just kind of take it as like, this is what you need to do. It's like, no, someone else made that call for you. You didn't make that call for yourself. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um yeah, that's, that's, that's so good. Uh, okay. So, uh, what do you do when you go uh, here in the middle of a cycle and you're, uh, you're like, okay, I got to take the family on vacation 
And we're going to go to a resort that has, they have three gyms on the damn place, but the only thing in those gyms are about 10 machines and three treadmills. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to use the crap out of those machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to do all the accessory work that I try to skip out on if, if I yep. can. Uh, I'm going to try to just do all the stuff that I, I don't like, I'm going to use them. Like they're, they're made for something. Um, but then I'm also going to be doing a whole lot more stretching. I'm going to do a lot of trying to open up the hips and get the quads in better position and, uh, just more like yoga style stuff. Cause the one really, really cool part with like yoga and stretching is you could have like a real good like yoga session in the morning and then you could do it again like three hours later and you're not tired. Like it doesn't take anything out of you really. I like that. So, and if you have nothing else going on and you're on vacation, like take advantage of it. Yeah. And that's, that's so, that's kind of what I did um, is I went and I did like, they, they actually had 10 different machines. And so I hit like three sets of 10 on every machine walked the treadmill for a little bit, came back, sat in the hot tub, stretched a bunch. And it was like, um, I was like, man, in the middle of it, I'm like, I am not being exerted. But I got done with that. And about 20 minutes later, I was like, oh my God, I need a ton of water and I need to eat a lot of food right now. <laughs> Hold on one second here. What's up? Okay, I'll be done in a little bit, okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> Got family game night coming up. We played Monopoly cool. last night, and uh, now I don't know what we're playing now, but they have a whole slew of games. Was it Anyways, Monopoly like like the one with paper money, or was it that new like credit, swipe your credit card? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was the old school one, and it was themed after – uh, national parks. So instead of like park place and Vermont and all that, it was like, uh, Mount Rushmore or it was like, uh, what was it? There was, uh, Yosemite park and all that stuff, fun stuff. So it was, it's cool. Nice. Um, anyways, well, uh, let's see, we get, we've pretty much hit all my topics. What, uh, what do you got Cornell? What's, what's going on in your world right now? Uh, not too much. We're all going out to AO2 in Northern California. So that's going to be, I think we have like 20 plus athletes going. Um, and we're going to have a co coaching staff of, I think, five. Nice. One, two, three, at least four. At least four, maybe five. Um, and then I was talking to Stephanie, and I'll say the same thing to Ryan. Uh, but I told her that, like, hey, you need to, you need to trust that we will take care of everybody who needs to be taken care of, because you are competing. So you have to be, you have to put yourself number one as an athlete, and then everybody else is number two. And I said, I know you don't want to hear this, and I don't know you don't want to believe it. But that's what we're here for. So you can take care of whatever you need to before your day. But on your day, you need to be off your, for your feet. You can be there, but it nobody else is your responsibility but you. Yeah, so. that's got to be tough. I don't know. And there's 
two of us are not competing who are going, who are coaching. So that's okay. kind of like what we're there for. And I've done yeah. dozens of these national meets and I kind of know what to expect. And I've talked to a handful of the, the newer people and I'm like, hey, this is some of the stuff, how you should be warming up just in general right now and doing more waves and be mentally preparing for potentially 10 minutes between lifts and um, figuring some of that kind of stuff out so that it's not a surprise when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> also you know, telling them the... <laughs> Also telling them the um, the whole idea of hey, if, don't be scared at this meet. Nobody's everybody who you know is going to be probably five to seven people in the crowd, and no one else who's out there is paying any attention to you. And they're like, "Oh, I didn't really ever think about that." I'm like, "Yeah." So don't be scared. It's it's a bigger stage, but it's really a lot easier. Yeah, that and dude, that's so valuable to have. I mean, it's one thing to have like, uh, you know, your coach there that, and I, I can't imagine being a coach and competing at the same one. I think that would be, um, I, I just, I don't think I'm, I'm quite set up like that right now. Like give me more, five more years. Cool. Totally do it. Um, I, because the intensity you get from coaching versus the intensity you need for, um, uh, lifting are pretty, pretty damn close from what I've noticed. Like, I think I helped, I, I coached, um, uh, Donald, uh, at the WSO and I, you know, and the intensity that I felt with that guy, like <laughs> we all know how big Donald is and I'm like yelling at him, trying to get him all, you know, <laughs> get him ready to go. And, and, uh, it was just, you know, that it was intense and it was fun. And it was like, I came out of that feeling like I actually competed. And so like the people that can do both, uh, hats off because that's, that's pretty cool. But having people like you there are is just it's so valuable. Yeah, I've done both, and but I will admit that like I took the selfish route oftentimes when I was competing, and I was just like, mm -hmm. I'm not the only coach here, and yeah, I would kind of, totally. I would, I would slack on the coaching side of it. But the day before, I'd, I'd do a bunch. Um, but I think that there's just a. That's one of the reasons why I think it's important for coaches oftentimes to do meets that you tell your team, like, if you guys want to do it, you can, but I'm not your coach. Like, this is right. like a coach's right. meet. Um, so I think that's something important to do as well. Yeah, I agree. You know, one thing that I like to do um, uh, when I go to the bigger meets that are multiple days is like the day before I lift, and this was just me, but like, being in the back room and helping like loading for people. Um, mm -hmm. it was really valuable to do that because like, um, not only did I keep my blood moving that day and, but I was able to see what the back room looked like. I was able to see how it moved. I was able to see the intensity levels and it was really nice. I, I really enjoyed it. And I remember people like Diane was like, get off your feet. And I'm like, Nope, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need because it's taking so many, so many of the unknowns out of it because I'm set out, I'm out here. I'm seeing how it's moving. I'm seeing how the board's moving. Um, I'm seeing how people at the table are reacting, coaches, all that stuff. It was really great. And then the next day I went out there and I, I had a great time and, and did pretty well. But um, I, I think, yeah, I, li I like the idea of that, of, of being able to help the day before you left. And some people aren't fortunate enough to do that, but, Hey, if you can do that, do it. 
Yeah, it's familiarizing yourself with it so that nothing is a surprise when you get there. Uh, when we were in Reno together a couple years ago, uh, the, mm-hmm. the day I lifted, like I woke up and I was just like, nerves were going, even though I didn't necessarily show it. And I woke up at like 5.30 in the morning and then I walked out to the competition and no one was there, but the whole platform was set up and I familiarized myself with the entire place. Yeah. And that yeah. that way, when I got there, it wasn't, I, I knew where I was going to go. I knew where the weigh-ins were. I knew where the platform was. I knew how we were going to walk up to the platform. I knew all of that right. kind of stuff. And then I could leave, go get breakfast and kind of do my thing and not have to be wondering. And that was a, that was a unique meet as it was with the, like the, the round Robin and all that stuff. You know, did you, I don't know if you knew this, but that was my very first meet ever, ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Oh, wow. Um, But that was my very first uh, competition I ever lifted at. And I I actually enjoyed that. That's how it went down. And I actually, you were the one that warmed me up um, for a hot second. So that was, that was cool. (laughs) Um, Cool, man. You know, we're, we're sitting at about 44 minutes. Uh, I got kids wanting to play games, so I'm going to go hit that up. Um, cool. I appreciate you making time for, uh, for the show and, and being able to delay it a day. That was, uh, that was huge. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It worked good from on my end too. Cause I got back from the mountains yesterday. So I kind of figured, yeah, you were in big bear as well too. So that's good. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, go check us out at our Instagrams. Max Everett Kitchen, People's Master, and uh, YouTube is coming very shortly. So uh, keep a lookout for that. I'll be posting stuff as I get it up there. So other than that, uh, everybody have a good night. Adios. Bye.